I think it's even better to start small too, because a lot of this requires like human involvement from the beginning. And so being really cognizant of how much time you're investing in this, um, especially in support where people, you need people to keep the boat afloat um, is really important. So I, I always, I admire when people start talking about these like extravagant onboarding processes that they're thinking about. But I also usually caution people to start very, very small, like 5% of your whatever base you were thinking of um, and start start rolling it out that way just to see like how many touch points are there and how like touchy are your customers, right? So like how much do they, are they going to need you to be there to interact with them? Hey y'all, I'm Chase Clemens. Welcome back to the Support Ops Hangout. This is a show that helps you deliver a better support experience to your customers. Now our crew has some of the best support pros in the business and you need to know them before we start. So first up, Carolyn, who is gone this week, still on vacation, I think, from Instagram, as far as we can tell. Uh, next up, Jeff. Let's go with Jeff. How are you from Wistia? First up, oh, this, this is going to be a special episode indeed. Yeah. Well, behind Carolyn not being here. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm, I was doing pretty good. Now I'm just doing all right. Yeah, that's... I, I can live with that. Second up, Chase Livingston from uh, Automatic. How are you? Hey, doing well. I feel like that's your answer every time. Now I'm going to have to go back and do a super cut of every episode. Yeah, Instead of it being like a Sorkinism, it's going to be like a yeah. Livingstonism. Mondays I just haven't gotten into enough to be doing badly, so I guess I'm just always <laughs> doing well. <laughs> And then since Carolyn's out, we've got a special guest this week, all the way from our friends over at, um, I was going to try to say the parent company's name, and I always screw it up. So I'm going to go with Trello. Perfect. Yeah, yes. we're going to go with Trello. Mercer, how are you? I'm doing so well. Hope See you're now? doing well, too. I was going to say, how are you? But then <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm good. It's always better, like, so... Whenever I'm on uh, doing interviews or whatnot, you're supposed to do the like, oh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. And it just feels like phony every time. Oh, was every I supposed time. to do that? Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I am really happy to be here. I mean, I am. I second Mercer's feelings on that. So we're all happy to be here except maybe for Livingston who's just doing okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so it is week two on our onboarding series. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at the flows. Most customer onboarding flows tend to be one size fits all. And basically, everyone who signs up goes to the same steps, receives the same email, gets the same advice. Pretty generic, for lack of a better word. But we want to talk about if that's the right approach to take when you might take that one and, yeah, all the fun that goes with that. So, um, Mercer, since you're the guest, let's let's give it to you first. So does a one-size-fits-all approach work? Um, I think that it, this is actually something that we're experimenting with at uh, Atlassian slash Trello. Um, I'll just refer to it as Trello here on out, but um, as a smaller part of Atlassian. Um, so we, uh, we're playing around with this a little bit right now and doing some research and A-B testing. So it's actually very apropos that you reached out. Um, in terms of one size fits all, I think it does up to a certain point. Um, I think that ultimately it's something that we're moving forwards with is trying to um, 
really customize the experience uh, specifically for business class customers. Um, so trying to figure out like what actions they've taken and then send specific emails or take specific actions in the app based on that. Um, and I think like when you think about this, when you get support, right, it, it feels nice to get those onboarding emails, but at the same time, sometimes you'll just delete them or you'll skip over them or you just will X out of the box if it pops up in the app. So having something that's really customized to their experience makes it um, much more likely that they're going to read it and engage with it, um, which I think is what you ultimately want people that are going through onboarding to do. Um, cause if they're just skipping out of it, they're just like hitting the X. They're not actually getting what you're doing and you're wasting your resources, um, trying to reach them with it. Yeah, I think, so Trello kind of ran into the, or is running into whatever the, the verb there is. You're seeing the same <laughs> thing we saw at Basecamp as far as like, you know, when you've got everybody from solo, like freelancers or, or even, so like the example I, I like to use with Basecamp is somebody wanting to use Basecamp for their home, like to manage like stuff going on around the house versus like a small business owner who is really our target like niche. So with us right now, kind of the same boat. It's we've got a one size fits all, but it's geared toward those business customers because those are the ones that we want. Um, right. We're just not quite as interested in the like somebody using Basecamp for their house kind of situation. Um, when you talk about the levers in there, like, is it just like if somebody's added a board, or, or is it like them taking some action that's the lever? Or yeah. So what we did was we went through all of our. In emails in the inbox and found out when people were emailing in the most. Um, so like when in the customer journey, we were getting the most contact from them. So if that was like two weeks in after they'd opened a board. Um, so we compared all of that data, both from help scout, which we love um, and our database where we were just pulling uh, user actions. And from there we started to figure out what that journey looked like. So um we found that a lot of people are reaching out about teammates and how to get team boards working um, after they've been prompted for business class and first upgraded because we don't have a great explanation for um, how to use teams or even really how the billing for business class works. So now we've started to have this flow that goes out as soon as someone signs up, they'll get this prompt with like best practices and information about teams and billing. Um, for business class. Um, but a lot of it was based off of like s specific things that we found people were reaching out about um, after like a couple months of analysis on data. I love that. Like most of the time you think about setting up those flows, you're looking at just pure data, like from the database, like you were talking about, but you actually come through Help Scout, which is really cool. Like that's one of the things where when you say it, that makes obvious sense. But beforehand, it's like, I don't know if I would have done that. So Livingston, when it comes to automatic, you've got such a wide variety of customers. You know, you've got uh, very high profile VIP uh, online publications and everything else using WordPress all the way down to like, I think my favorite example you've ever used was the mom blogging about cats or something like that, or I forget who it was, but somebody was blogging about cats. Um, is the WordPress approach like segmented out to, to handle those different groups? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have separate <clears throat> onboarding flows for... Um, somebody who is, you know, running a self-hosted site and is just connecting Jetpack. Um, and so they, you know, obviously may need different things like security and backups and things like that. Um, and so that's going to be different from, 
you know, somebody who signs up on WordPress.com where we take care of all that for them. And all they need to do is, you know, learn how to choose a great theme and, uh, you know, add content to their site and, and make the site look how they would like it to look and then get, you know, uh, get the site in front of viewers and that kind of thing. So there are, you know, quite a few different flows that people can go through. And, you know, obviously then depending on if they purchase plans or, uh, you know, things like that, uh, you know, a new domain name, for example, you know, help getting that set up. Um, so there are quite a few different, I guess, variables um, that they come into play there. Jeff with Wistia, like one of the things that I've always thought Wistia was really good at was identifying like your, your target customer. Like you don't want the whole video hosting world. You just want like this little group over here. So when it comes to this, this onboarding flow, um, do y'all target like a, a specific ideal customer or is it just kind of let's make these as, as general as we can? Yeah. That's what I've been thinking about while um, Mercer and, and Chase were talking is that all four of our products represented here are pretty wide use products. They're not, they're not what I would call single use. They're, they're more like platforms than they are like a single use app. Um, <clears throat> and with you too. And, and the only thing that we try to, the only thing we've tried to do to get a little bit more, like Mercer said, it's always better, I think, if the person's getting direction related to what they're actually trying to accomplish. And probably the, you know, the simplest way, Occam's razor then to get at that is to ask them, hey, what do you want to do with Basecamp, Jetpack, Trello, Wistia? Like, what are you trying to do? And so we asked that on sign up. Um, and then it's still a bit of a guessing game for us to figure out, well, based on this kind of high level goal, um, what are the actions and in what sequence should you take them inside of the product to, to get at that end? And then how do you know when you're done? Um, Cause not all products are kind of designed with that like end to end experience um, in mind where it's like, okay, now you've done that thing that you wanted to do. Like, did you get the outcome you wanted? Um, Is that like, is Wistia doing that like automatically at this point or is it like you're just manually going in and saying, Oh, Chase wanted to do X. Like here's what he needs to do. Yeah. So we do that automatically at this point And we've seen that that was a big win um, for us, but uh, I don't think that that has impacted emails yet. Um, it might've, but I think that's on the roadmap. Um, and still, even with that messaging, right? Like I think Mercer brought this up earlier. A lot of people, they don't even stick around long enough to find out whether that messaging was targeted or not. They close that onboarding flow or they delete that email just as soon as it comes in because they're just used to it being pretty terrible. So I think you've got to find, we've got to find other ways around that problem to get at the non uh, general onboarding, right? The general onboarding, I think we can build into the product itself. So you're kind of going through it. Uh, and you get a sense of, okay, here's how I use the product generally. Here's what buttons do what. And then there's another layer on top of that that's like, how do I do the thing? Okay, now I know that this button uploads a video, but how do I go through the full workflow of putting a video into my account and measuring its success on my website, which is like a multi-step. When you talk about that that first onboarding, onboarding flow happening in the app, happening automatically, how are you pulling that off? Is that just something that your development team has built into Wistia itself? Is it something you pulled off a shelf? No, it's something that we spent quite a bit of time and resources to build into Wistia itself. Um, Was that something that like you had to, 
that because that seems like just from an outsider's perspective, that seems like a big thing to undertake. And if you know, if I'm a smaller company, if I'm a smaller team, and I'm looking at, wow, Jeff like has had good success with this over at Wistia. Like we should be doing this. Like how? Like is it is it feasible for me to go to to my uh, my boss and say yeah, I think we need to spend some time on this, or is it like just as quick to pull something off a shelf? Well, it depends on what the the challenges that your company's facing, like what some of your priorities are. I think if activation is a big opportunity area for you and you already have some basic onboarding in place, um, this could be something that you try out. I bet you it could have been done a lot faster and cheaper than we did it um, because we tried a whole bunch of things before we narrowed it in. So it's at least possible uh, to do it another way. Um, so I, so I guess, I guess in that way, it, it sort of depends on, on what gap you're trying to close to choose whether to go, um, that, that sort of, you know, personalized, it's not personalized necessarily, but more personalized, customized than, uh, than the generic flow, but getting that generic flow right first, or at least having a product that's designed upfront to support, uh, most people figuring out how to use it. That's kind of like you got to cross that hurdle first, I think, before you start worrying about a personalized flow. Yeah. Just to piggyback on that, something that we do is we'll use like a product that's been built for a specific use um, and then ultimately determine if we need to build one ourselves because um, that has really helped us to determine whether it's valuable enough to put those resources in just because we're such a small, nimble team. Um, it's been really useful to use things like directly and app queues and stuff like that to run experiments um, that then help determine what kind of impact that's going to make. Um, and then use that to make the argument to an executive team or to whoever the gatekeeper is. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I was going to also, um, I was going to second, or I am seconding app queues um, because I think that cheaper, much cheaper testing is great. You could also do something as simple to prove it out as uh we talked about last week emailing people like who should the email come from as people are getting onboarded with your product. If you're sending something that's like, you know, this is from Mercer, like I'm head of it, helping you achieve your goals. Which goal are you trying to achieve? And people write back and they're like, option B, you're like, great. And you go into Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever it is that you use and you put them in the flow, the email flow for, for, for goal B I mean, that's a, that's a very, very simple and cheap way to do it, um, but another option. Oh, I like that. So it's the, you're, you're the gatekeeper, basically. Yeah, and who, I think that that actually might be a, the reason why that might be a good first step, what we did was we surveyed people, right? You signed up and then we asked you, which of these goals are you trying to achieve? Um, and we didn't do anything for them with that data. We ran that for a week. Um, and left and left it open-ended. So we got some responses, but lots of people said, Oh, I'm looking to do this. And then we were like, great, thanks. And we did not help them at all with that. Now, what we ended up doing was building an in-depth onboarding flow based on the breakdown of the people who chose those goals. Right. Uh, and we got the wording, I think better because we surveyed people and got open-ended responses. Like, I don't know quite what you mean by this one. So I, I'm writing in the other space. Um, but I, I think having something that goes out by email, you're going to get fewer respondents, but you might get more of a conversation started and still be able to help them, which sounds like kind of the big win here. 
Yeah, we, uh, so at Basecamp, we've kind of done the same thing. Uh, we recently, well, I say recently, it's been a couple of months, but we did a round of job to be done interviews. And basically, you can break customers that are looking at Basecamp down into four big buckets of jobs. And from there, we kind of set up this, well, what are you trying to do page inside of a new trial? And people would pick and you'd have a couple options and, and then the wizard would basically be like, all right, well, here's your account. And we didn't do anything with it because it was basically, we want to make sure that didn't break anything. Um, we wanted to make sure like, if we ask you that up front, that like conversions and signups don't fall in half, like just kind of ease in at the very beginning and, and then like start building things out. I think that's one of the things where, um, well, one of our listeners that emailed, um, uh, emailed me that kind of prompted this specific episode. They were talking about that it was intimidating to go through and like build out this big flow chart of everything that's going to happen and all the different customizations and personalizations and, and all that. And I emailed back. I was like, it's okay to start small. It's okay to just kind of like first divvy up your, your group to see what you've got going on because the groups that you think you have might not really be the groups. You've got to figure that out. I think it's even better to start small too, because a lot of this requires like human involvement from the beginning. And so being really cognizant of how much time you're investing in this, um, especially in support where people, you need people to keep the boat afloat um, is really important. So I, I always, I admire when people start talking about these like extravagant onboarding processes that they're thinking about, but I also usually caution people to start very, very small, like 5% of your whatever base you were thinking of um, and start start rolling it out that way just to see like how many touch points are there and how like touchy are your customers, right? So like how much do they, are they going to need you to be there to interact with them? Um, ideally, you don't want them to need you to interact with them at all. Um, but that's usually not the case when you're just starting out, I think. You said touchy and I was like, oh, wait, like when you said that it was the like, leave me alone, like don't talk to me, that kind of touchy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like how, how much are they going to want <laughs> and how much are they going to want you to touch touch them? Yeah, just to take us right off of that real quick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> phrasing, that's all it is. Phrasing. Uh, there's also, um, I think there's also thing, variables like whether it's a strictly product or product and service component. Uh, right, because if there's anything outside of a product that you might want to get people familiar with, you probably want you could introduce that as part of the onboarding flow, right? Rather than getting an email from a random support teammate, you actually get an email from head of services or head of uh, customer onboarding, for example, who is there to help you. But if you're, they may also leave it open ended, like, hey, if you've got a more in depth use case. Uh, follow up and maybe we can we can help i mean it's all about what problem are you solving for the customer and uh what does looking what does helping them be successful look like how much is it worth to you uh we certainly had customers that i wish we had been much more hands-on with because they went and built uh you know full integrations based on our apis that then weren't successful because they didn't know what was deprecated and wasn't or something like that. Um, and had we right taken more of a, a hands-on onboarding approach, we might've caught that in the early going. 
Livingston, Jeff mentioned earlier that with Wistia, you know, you've got a part of it where you've got to set it up and you've got to embed stuff and all that, that, that kind of thing. With Jetpack, it's a little bit easier. I mean, you've got where it's basically you just add a plugin in WordPress and, and you're kind of good to go. Um, so with more one-size-fit-all onboarding for those kind of situations, do you think it works well? Like everybody is going to install Jetpack the same way, right? Yeah, for the most part, um, there are a couple of different ways, obviously, you can get there. But um, yeah, I mean, most people install it the same way. And so once you get the plugin installed, however you decide to do that, um, once you actually go to connect it to WordPress.com, which is where the magic happens, um, you basically run through the same flow. Um, obviously, we do some you know, A-B testing and different things like that with uh, some of those different onboarding flows. But in general, it's, you know, the same thing. You uh, prove the connection to your account. You, you know, pick a plan if or a free plan if you, you know, want to stay on the free plan. And then, you know, we dump you in, um, into your site's uh, sort of admin panel on WordPress.com. And um, then that has a list of all the different things. Well, not a list, but a, a representation of a lot of the different things that Jetpack can do and ask if you want to, activate recommended features, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, you know, relatively simple-ish um, and, and basically, yeah, the same for everybody. Are the the recommended features there, are they the same for everybody or is it like look at your site in any way to kind of tell you which one would be best? Yeah, I guess Jetpack is sort of a one-size-fits-all um, uh, philosophy, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, and so- backup's a backup. Yeah. And so the recommended features are, you know, the same. They're just the ones that um, are the ones that most people use and and seem to generate the most value for uh, users, you know, as we've seen over the last several years. Mercer, while you're, while you and your team at Trello are figuring this out, like, are you running into any kind of stumbling points that, that listeners might need to to be aware of any like, Oh man, like I did this and I want to make sure everybody else doesn't do that. That's a good question. Um, I think we've just gone down a bunch of different routes of how to do this. So originally we were like, oh, maybe we can use directly and that'll be a great way to onboard customers. And then we were like, oh, maybe we can just do like a, a Twitter series where we like tweeted out things in our community and that'll be a good way to do this. And so we've tried a bunch of different ways of doing it um, because we thought that email was impersonal and people don't read email and all of that. Um, But I think that email is one of the cleaner ways to do it, at least for us. Like we don't, we can't add anything into the Trello app right now. There's just not really a place for it to fit. Um, And so email with very specific targeting, which we've narrowed down now um, has helped to strike a a balance between the, um, the potential coldness of an email, um, versus wanting to make sure that we're addressing actual customer needs. Um, so I think I would, um, I would be, I would caution people towards uh, experimenting too much, which is something that I think um, you can really get into. I would look at your customer base um, and figure out like what's the best way that you're reaching them already. So are they really active on Twitter or are they really active with your email marketing? Um, and then use that use your marketing data to base this off of because some of it is marketing in its own way. Um, so rather than reinventing the wheel and trying to figure it out for yourself, try to use some of the data that your company already has um, to figure out the best way to reach those customers. I love that. It's, it's one of those where you don't have to come up with like the million dollar idea in your first week. Like if you're just starting out, it's fine. Like you mentioned earlier, start small, test small, 
It's not, you're not reinventing the wheel. I love that. So uh, I think that's the, the big ones I had. Anybody want to throw in anything before we wrap the show up? Anything we didn't touch on? I think we still haven't solved the problem. Not, I mean, yes, we could, this group could solve it. Of course we could solve it, but we haven't solved the problem yet of people. I mean, we, we've built, we invested quite a bit, as we said earlier in an onboarding flow that then I can watch people in full story sessions, just dismiss it. They didn't like, you know, read it or anything. They just dismiss it. Cause it's like, Oh my God, a thing dismiss. Um, and something I've thought about is if you let people opt in, uh, a much, much lower percentage of people are going to end up seeing it, but is the percentage of people who see it much more invested because they opted into it as opposed to it being forced on them. Um, so do you essentially get a more real number, um, so yeah, solving the problem of people just saying, "Oh my God, an email from X company, I must delete immediately." Is uh, that's a real problem in this day and age where people don't no longer enjoy getting email. Yeah, that's. So I was trying to think back to some of the A/B testing and things that we've done at Basecamp, and one of the things that we did was we. Basically, uh, when we were doing some some VIP concierge white glove kind of stuff, personalized onboarding, personalized consultant, that kind of thing, um, we basically took a group of people and, and offered this to them, and uh, it was something like five or ten percent took us up on it, and and that was it. Uh, and then when you got down to the end, it turned out it didn't really make a difference in conversion rates. Like it was just like nothing we could do. We tried for like a year or two, nothing we did around that group really move the needle as far as um, getting them to pay us at, at the end of the trial. So we basically flipped that and said opt-in. So at the, one, of our, our, one of our onboarding emails that goes out is, hey, if you need help, like just let us know. I think it's like a PS line at the bottom or something like that. Very small, very not intrusive or anything like that. But for the people that need it, um, it's there and, and they can kind of opt-in on that. Um, and that's opt-in for more of a, like I said, like a white glove approach. It's not opt-in to a flow or anything like that. Um, the other kind of experience that we've had at Basecamp was we've done tests where when you sign up for Basecamp, you're either put on the homepage at the, at the beginning or you're put into a sample project at the beginning. And we found that people that go through the sample project end up having a better experience and converting at a higher rate at the end of the trial. Uh, so that was something that was really promising. But again, it's like, you know, do we put people into a sample project or do we just offer it as an opt-in on the homepage and hope that they do it? Any idea what percentage of people were opting into stuff? So I know I'd have to go back and look up numbers for like the exact percentage and all that. I know that when we put you into a sample project, it converts at a significantly higher rate to where we're working to make that the default. When you're given the sample projects and, and not forced to look at them or anything like that, it, it's just a lower number. I, I do think encouraging people to opt in is is all well and good, but sometimes people don't know what they need, you know? Um, that's a good point. I think, um, like I, I, I would always prefer to 
show people things that they want to see. But I think if you don't give them a taste first, they might not necessarily know that they want it or that it's important or valuable. Um, so, I mean, everyone's been on those sites where like the pop-ups just keep popping up and you're like, oh my God, I've closed this already. But I think there's something to be said for like maybe showing a pop-up or maybe showing using one of the more traditional ways of gaining attention and then allowing an opt-in um, to organically happen at that point. Maybe. maybe. Is that the Trello approach? The Trello approach? Just like pop-ups everywhere? No. The <laughs> oh. is, that the, is that the drugs approach? You give them like a little bit of taste because they don't know what they're missing. I mean, really, that's all that everything is, right? We just, we just everything is a, I don't know. I need to not. <laughs> I know. So when we moved the WordPress site, when we moved our, our WordPress site over last weekend, um, Chase Livingston, one of the ways that he did that was he hooked up uh, Vault Press, I think it's called, um, did a backup, and then that backup just moved over magically into the other location. And it wasn't for me, like for me, having a backup of the site was really interesting, but I didn't have a pain point around it. Like it was no big deal for me to go through and do a manual export once a month or something like that. Um, you know, we're 149 episodes in. I haven't ever needed a backup before. It's just one of those like, eh, you know, I've got one. Um, but when he used Vault Press and I get to see it in action, that's one of those things where like I wouldn't have opted in for it, but after seeing it, I want to buy that. Like that, that was a, 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 like a moment of conversion for me. And I think, yeah, hashtag winning. Um, I I think Chase, like that's a recommended feature in Jetpack, right? Like one of those that's recommended to be turned on in the beginning. Uh, Yeah. Well, if you buy a plan, obviously for sure. Um, But it, you know, is definitely one of the upsells and and one of the, you know, key features of a Jetpack plan uh, is, you know, the backups and the, for the higher level plans, security scanning too. Um, You know, and and the easy restores, like you saw, I mean, you can even restore it to a completely new hosting or a completely new server. If you want to use it to like set up a new staging server somewhere else. I mean, there's a lot of different uses for, you know, vault press backups other than just, protecting you in case you screw something up or in case your site gets hacked, there's a lot of uses for it. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely, you know, one of the big selling points and one of the things that um, we're focused on improving for, you know, over the next year, however long. Yeah. Anecdotally for me, it feels like if you're going to make an opt in, it's got to, you got to have some magic pool to make it opt in. You know, it's got to be a, a too good to pass up kind of opt in. And if you don't have that, then I don't think there's a danger in having it opt out, but having it made like really easy to opt out, like one click stop opt out. I say that and somebody is going to like email us and be like, Oh no, we do like opt in and here's the perfect way. And like, this is just the magic just right here. I mean, if they email that to you, please share it with me because i would love to know <laughs> i was gonna say that's the 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 beauty of the onboarding series that we're doing like we are all constantly iterating on that so it's not like like one and done it's it's there's just so many levers and things that you can pull here um which makes it fun and hair ringing at the same time all right, so that's our take on this one. Let us know what you think. Hello at supportops.co is the email. We're at supportops on Twitter. Mercer, thanks for being here. You were fantastic. Thank you. You're fantastic. I so. am, aren't I? Yeah, and so modest as well, apparently. <laughs> oh, at that point, it's just like, I, I am living my best life, and I'm just going to like, whatever you say that, I am. 
living your truth. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, housekeeping notes. Like we mentioned last week, I'm going to be at SUPCOF in Atlanta, November 6th, Monday, November 6th. So uh, if you want to know more about how Basecamp handles feature requests um, uh, with our own little jobs to be done spin and all that fun stuff, make sure to show up. I'll be giving a talk on Monday the 6th about that. Head over to supportdriven.com to get your tickets. And then a personal ask of mine, if you get a minute, or three, or not five. Five minutes is too much for this. But if you have a minute or three, go out and leave us a review on uh, Twitter, Facebook, iTunes. Open it up. Leave a review. Five stars, please and thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those where it feels like every show begs for reviews, but no joke, it does help in getting the word out. So uh, do that for us. Other than that, thanks again for listening. And until we see you again, have an awesome week. Did you combine hair raising and hand wringing into hair wringing? <laughs>